Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And as always, whenever Anthony Taylor uh, refs a match, we have to squeeze some room in to talk shit about him. Um, we did play Liverpool as well, so we're going to talk some shit about Liverpool also. I know that's right up Sam's wheelhouse, one of his least favorite teams in the universe. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, before we get into it, let me just pass it off really quick. I have Sam and Andres here as usual. Um, for those of you that are wondering, apologies in advance. I might sound a little monotone. I, I'm getting a little sick getting covid tested tomorrow so apologies in advance but Sam, uh how are you doing healthy i'm hoping i am healthy but whew, what a, a crazy couple of days like since we last recorded the lukaku drama you know this this liverpool match insanity um arsenal bottling a lead to you know to man city well actually that's not that crazy that's pretty common and uh expected of them Especially getting a red card towards the end of the game, that's that's as Arsenal as it gets. But it's, it's been a crazy week. I'm just happy that we were able to steal some points away from Liverpool. Andreas, how are you feeling, bro? It's been a roller coaster. I mean, we dropped the last podcast and then we woke up to the Lukaku bomb. So that, that we found out that Bittersweet news, Reese James won't need surgery, but he'll be out for six six to eight weeks. I mean... That's the season, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, the core of it, at least. Um, conflicting rumors about Emerson. I mean, it, nothing seems to be black and white. And, and when you're looking for, for good news, it, it all gets balanced out with this big cloud of the Lukaku stuff. So it's been kind of a crazy past, what, four days? If that. It's been I a shit show. experienced every emotion possible mm-hmm. the last yeah. four days. The only, the only positive has been being the head of the hashtag Kova crew. Yep. Uh, yep. You guys uh, came out strong this week. But what a shit show of a week, definitely. Let's get the Lukaku stuff out of the way. Um, as you all know, this all started with a Sky Sports Italy interview that uh, originally Fabrizio Romano teased out some incriminating quotes. Um, Sky Sports then released the first part of the interview, and it seemed at first that some quotes were mistranslated by Fabrizio. You know, the, 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 the interview was in Italian, Fabrizio is Italian. We thought maybe, okay, that's just a you know, poor translation. Turns out the interview was done over a month ago as well, which kind of made it feel better. But once right the after full... the Man United game, mm-hmm. it should be noted too, where yeah. Lukaku was dropped. And once the full interview was dropped, then the full quotes came out. Um, it wasn't worse, honestly, than we initially thought. Um, the response by the club, Tuchel was quoted saying that this was out of term. The club wasn't happy about the situation. And we got news the night before the match that Lukaku was likely going to be dropped from the squad against Liverpool, a huge match, and he was, which was insane to think, you know, after him scoring two goals in two matches in a row. Sorry, yeah, two goals in two matches. uh, To subsequently have him dropped because of this quote and this drama. Um, Us not knowing whether he wants to be here. Um, and, 
then today, Monday, the reconciliation meetings between him and Tuchel. He was out um, in training with the squad today. So uh, Lukaku did apologize to the Chelsea teammates and staff, but um, it was just an insane situation. Um, it seems that Lukaku's in a bit of a hole right now, and I think that, especially with the fans, he's got to do a lot to win back uh, the support of, uh, of Chelsea fans, I think, um, in general. But specifically, after all this, uh, Zach, where do you stand on the, on the Lukaku situation? Oh, man. This is a kind of as sloppy as it gets from a professional standpoint in terms of your etiquette and your behavior. Um, when the When the reports initially came out, I just thought to myself, here we go again. And not to make this a race thing, but... You know, the last time we had a Belgian open his mouth to the press, things didn't really wind up too well. And if you want to take Belgians out of the equation, look what happened with Diego Costa when he started running his mouth. He gets drops from the team. You see the impact it has on the locker room. Um, my, my my reaction was it was irresponsible from someone that's 28, about to be 29 years old, um, you know, a league winner in Italy, someone that wants to consider themselves one of the best strikers in the world for him to you know, come to Chelsea initially and kiss the badge when he scores goals and say, oh, this is the place I always wanted to be. I'm coming home, blah, blah, blah. And then for him to turn around and say, well, Barca, Real, and Bayern didn't really want me, um, so I came to Chelsea instead. But I really miss Inter at the same time. That's kind of what I got out of the interview. Um, do I hate the guy? He's wearing a Chelsea shirt, so I'd be a hypocrite if I said I do. Um, am I angry? Am I pissed off? Of course. I think the only way he gets over this, and I think the only way that you know his teammates get over it as well, is if he gets back on the pitch and proves that he's willing to sacrifice, you know, blood, sweat, and tears for the team. Um, I'm more concerned about the impact that it had with his teammates. You know, you, you, if you're an American sports fan, you saw some antics from Antonio Brown this week, where you know somebody just literally walks out on our team in the middle of a game. This wasn't necessarily the same level, but it did have a little bit of, you know, backstabbing uh, like the Antonio Brown situation did, too. So if I'm one of his teammates, I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck is going on? You know, this guy was all talk when he came in and now he's going to turn around and say, I don't really want to be here. Is the problem me? Is it the coaches? What is it? Um, but yeah, I, look, I don't hate him, but I will stake my claim and say that I'm pretty fucking pissed off. And if he doesn't score goals for Chelsea quick when he comes back, if he comes back, um, then I will be teetering on that line of hate, which I, as much as I hate to say it, um, it's true. If you don't want to be at Chelsea, you can fuck off. And, and, and what I got from the interview was just that. So. Yeah. What a shit show, huh? Um, I was when it first all dropped, I was a very much a defender of Lukaku because I thought it was poorly translated. Then the more info that came out, I quickly changed my opinion on the matter. I don't you may say you don't hate Lukaku. I just don't care for Lukaku anymore. Uh, what that means to me, it's that. I still want him to perform well for Chelsea, but I'm not going to be like going out of my way of applauding him and kind of, you know, kind of falling in love with him as we do with players like Conte. And, you know, for me specifically, you guys know, I love Kovacic and we're Americans. So we have a big, you know, 
push for Pulisic to do well, things like that. Uh, I won't stick my neck out for him is what I mean by that. I think that he can still do a lot for Chelsea and he can still score goals for Chelsea. I just don't think I can put him in a category of a loved player. Like Thiago Silva, who's been here for two seasons, has grown to to be loved by the fans. And we even consider him proper Chelsea in a short amount of time. I think Lukaku has burned any sort of potential um, emotional legacy with the fans. I think he can be considered a good player in the long term for Chelsea. I just don't think he's going to be somebody that fans will hold, hold dearly. Um, and that's kind of where I stand with it. I hope I hope that he still provides goals for Chelsea because we did spend $100 million on him. So to see him now potentially be, you know, gone soon, I think would be extremely disappointed. Like it's, it's a, uh, disappointing as a fan. And even I'm sure the board would be too because of the investment they made. But yeah, I'm, I've come to the point where Lukaku is just an employee of the club and I hope he does his job. That's where I stand with it now. The thing that bothered me the most uh, about his quotes was really his just overall lack of awareness. Uh, I mean, him not really uh, anticipating this kind of backlash with his comments uh, was really surprising to me because, I mean, I was like you, Andres. I tried to, you know, at the beginning, take it with a grain of salt and be like, okay, like, really, what is he say? He what is his, the point of his messages? It's to ease the tensions and kind of get on the good side of Inter fans. And, you know, that's fair. Like, he he wanted to, he you know, he wasn't able to fully explain uh you know, the, the whole story behind his leaving and how it wasn't necessarily his decision. He would have loved to stay there, but because of the money, he couldn't. And I got it, but I remember getting home very late on, uh, it was like Thursday night, and I was like up really late. It was like 3, 4 in the morning. For some reason, I couldn't go to sleep. And in a span of like an hour, there was like... 15 to 20 quotes that uh that what's his name Fabrizio put out all by Lukaku saying pretty much the same thing like just over and over again how if it was up to him he would be in Italy right now how you know everything was so much better there blah 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 and you know you can make the point but the fact that he you know let's like re-emphasize it over and over again without really, you know, showing any support or love to, like, the current squad. You know, like, the only mention he makes of at his time at Chelsea is him not being happy with, uh, you know, the tactical formation or whatnot. Um, so it was it was really just, I'm going to say, dumb of him to not expect this kind of, this kind of a reaction. Um I mean, maybe call it naive, call it, you know, intentional. I think it was intentional, uh, to be completely honest. And he's just acting, acting like he had no idea what his intention was, um, you know, to save face. But, um, 
yeah, I'm on the same side as both of you that I, I'm not a hundred percent over it yet. He is going to have to, you know, like I, I'm trying, I've been trying to pull up this, the article, the interview he had with a uh, Chelsea FC, uh, com, you know, about when he originally came and how, you know, he would be someone that, you know, he was so excited to be back and, you know, it's always his dream to be back and, you know, like he'll do whatever it takes to fit into the system and blah, blah, blah. All that BS straight out the window, it completely contradicted by his comments made here. So, you know, if he comes out and apologizes, I'm not going to believe it. It's just a PR move. You know, like it, it, he said what he said, he meant it. And it's not going to be like, you know, an apology is going to make it seem like, you know, it, he didn't say what he said. So, yeah. Here's the thing. If he, for one, I know the club asked him to apologize. And like you saw, my, the part that gets me the most is they the fact that he, he's pretending like he's surprised about the reaction of this. Like You clearly have no fucking idea how a Chelsea fan thinks um, if you really put out an interview like that and are dumbfounded at the reaction and are and are skeptical as to why the fans are pissed off. Like, fuck you for that. Honestly, here's the thing. He went out and did the interview on his own. He hired the journalist on his own. He did it at his house. The club didn't know about it. His reps didn't know about it. Agent, everybody associated with him, I guess, just had no idea. He went and did this out on his own, solely by himself. Why can't he do an apology solely by himself if he really means that? And that that's kind of where I stand. Not saying that if he were to do it, you know, in the next 30 minutes that, you know, I would forgive him and, and, and no harm done. But there's just no regard or no knowledge of how to conduct yourself professionally <laughs> if you're if you're speaking about Lukaku in the last week or two weeks it, it, it doesn't make any sense any professional footballer or professional athlete with half of a fucking brain would know not to do that interview um, I, I found the quotes from his original interview like talking about uh, playing under Tuchel um, he said my role will depend on what the game plan is and what the boss wants me to do if he wants me to be a focal point or if he wants me to attack the spaces in behind, I can do it. The two years in Italy helped me master all the facets of the game for a striker and now I'm ready. I like the system that we play and I'm very flexible. I can play as a two or by myself and I'm used to the system because that's what we play with the Belgian national team. So I don't need much time to adapt. It's just knowing the strengths of my teammates in important positions and knowing what we do off the ball, then I can do the rest. Like I said, like it just it, it completely contradicts what he says. Uh, right that he's every unhappy line. about yeah it's it's, 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 it's that's why like, the, how he's a fan of chelsea and it's a childhood dream and he has unfinished business and he likes he the retire. system he plays it at belgium not it's unfamiliar it's different from what i played at inter you literally just played this fucking system in june during the euros yeah yeah it, it doesn't make sense it, it's uh a stupid situation it's really stupid yeah. and i'm upset with him but i'm hoping that he comes back against Tottenham against his old manager and just absolutely crushes it he, you know after his goal he runs back gives a hug to Tuchel right in you know in front of Antonio Conte that's what I want to see okay? he'll probably go and hug Conte <laughs> <laughs> well, he needs to take his shirt off and say I'm sorry I'm an idiot that's what his shirt needs On to the say shirt underneath? or he pulls it yeah. off and he has an inter jersey underneath <laughs> 
Andres, you said something that stuck out to me earlier that didn't really like cross my mind is that he burned any chance he has of becoming, you know, a cult hero at the bridge. Nobody's going to be like, oh man, you know, that player, I, I used to really like him. Like, like for example, Ramirez, Ramirez cult hero. Is he a freaking world beater? No legend. Probably not. But like he scored great goals. He played multiple positions at his time here and he won the champions league. Like, boom, I'm going to remember Ramirez forever. Like Drogba is just going to be, I mean, that's Drogba. He speaks for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Lukaku was supposed to be like the guy. Like he was, like you said, we had this redemption arc. It's a childhood dream to play at Chelsea. The the video of him when he's a kid touring the stadium and talking about yeah, how he's gonna bullshit. be here one day. He comes and dominates Arsenal and kisses the bats. Like all these things. It's just like all such a storybook. And then now this bullshit. Like it, it's over for him. And again, he can be a good employee of the club, but it's a long road ahead. Uh, for him to fix yeah, the relationship, it's with not the fans. Un, it's not unobtainable for him to fall back in the good graces of of the fans. He just has to put in a lot of work. Um, a lot. Okay, th- th- that's the question then. What does he have to do to get the fans to to start <laughs> liking him again? Supporting and liking him are two different things. Because I think if he starts scoring, if he scores against Spurs, you know, the majority of fans will start supporting him again. They won't necessarily be buying his jersey left, right, and center, but there'll be a willingness to get behind the guy when he plays. I think like for him to be liked by the fans, it, it's going to take years. Like he's going to have to be here for like three seasons in a row and staying at a high level three seasons in a row and scoring big goals three seasons in a row. Like his performance on the pitch needs to be at a high level consistently over a long period of time to fix a relationship with the fans. Then they can start forgetting about the the interviews and all that because if he, you know, scores 20 goals this season and then he's off because we had to sell him, there was no fixing. You know what I mean? Yeah, we got another take. Uh, This one's from uh, at Leonard Cohen, good friend of the pod. Need to get my Leonard Cohen voice going. He said, dear pod, I never actually wanted Lukaku back. I didn't like his attitude the first time around. He wasn't happy. I remember hearing a story about how he reacted when we won the 2012 Champions League. He pushed the trophy away and didn't want anything to do with it. But we signed him, and I thought, okay, we're not going to get Erling Holland. And he started well, so maybe this will work. Does the pod think Lukaku is the decider, the guy who can decide the outcome of a game? I don't know. At the moment, I think the guy's thinking out the place. I mean, what, I think we have. Yeah, oh, go Zach. Go sorry Zach. to. I think we have to wait and see because, I mean, he scored two goals in his last two matches. He looked somewhat hungry. I think I think the important thing to look at is if Lukaku comes back into the fold, are we going to see, you know, the Lukaku that we saw the last two matches or the Lukaku we saw at Inter? Or are we going to see the Lukaku that sulks and, you know, mopes around the pitch for 90 minutes like he did at United? That will really tell where his head is kind of at. So I don't think we necessarily have an answer for it. The potential's there, of course. We know he scores goals and we know he could play well and be one of the top strikers in the world. But, you know, now that there's some trouble in between the ears with him, who knows what Lukaku we're going to get. Andreas, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, we talk about, oh, what could have been. And I, I hate to be in the what ifs and whatnot, like, 
okay, so we didn't get Holland. Like, it's fine. Like, think about it this way. If we would have gotten Holland, it wouldn't have been the player speaking would have been his agent and his agent can speak whenever the hell he wants. So like, I, I, I don't want to look at lesser of two evil. What if situations, um, again, in terms of is Lukaku the decider <clears throat> to, to fix the relationship is going to take multiple seasons and it's up to the board to just decide whether Lukaku is going to get that chance or if we're going to cash in on him. But I don't think coming back, tomorrow or whenever it is that we play Spurs in for the semifinal. I don't know if that immediately makes you the decider. I think if Lukaku performs and he scores goals that keep us, you know, close to City or comfortably in the top four or into the next round of the Champions League, that's when you can really see if he's that sort of guy. Uh, he has that reputation of only scoring against the small teams in the Premier League and he's got half a season to to prove otherwise. So, mm-hmm. um, again, too early for that. I don't agree that at the moment he's sticking out the place, though. I think at the moment he was on the field, our top player the last two matches previous to Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to our last episode, you know, before these quotes came out, it was us talking about how he's back and it's going to be the difference <laughs> maker. So I think that him being the decider, if that's the title you want to use, the guy who can decide the outcome of the game, absolutely. Lukaku is that guy. It's, it's just a matter of whether his head is in it or not. All right. Let's move on. Enough of this Lukaku nonsense. Let's talk about the Liverpool matchup. 2-2, draw. At the bridge. So going through our starting 11, our last match with Mendy before he uh, heads on to the Africa, what's it called, uh, Nations Cup? Afcon. Af- Cup of well, Af- yeah, it's some Afghan is the organization. African, African Federation, Navy. whatever it is. Uh, Cup of not Nations. Not to show, not to show disrespect to that, but uh, <laughs> it is the Africa Cup of Nations. Yeah. Um, so his last match uh, until he returns from that. Um, a back three of Chalobinho, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger. Uh, Dave, Conte, Kovacic, and Marcus Alonso in the midfield. Um, and a front three of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, and Pulisic finally in his natural position, left wing. Um, so early controversy um, in this match when uh, Sadio Mane elbowed Dave in the face within a minute of kickoff. Um, and then, you know, nine minutes later, Mane becomes the match's first goal scorer. Is this uh, Anthony Taylor back in full force, uh, or is was this not necessarily a red card? I mean, I think had it been any other time of the match, it probably would have been a red card. What do you think, Andres? Definitely, I think Anthony Taylor also like was in a tough spot. Surprisingly, uh, within a minute of kickoff, the last thing you want to do is give a team, you know, the disadvantage of playing with 10 men. I think that if it's not Liverpool, it gets put into the VAR and like, you know, you stare at it for a long time. But if you're looking at it just objectively, that's a red card offense and it's uh double jeopardy or whatever the saying is to where 
he should have been out and then he scores on us. So, you know, now we're in a, cause we also found out by the way, that the Cho mistake was also a handball. So now it's now two referee blunders and back-to-back matches that potentially cost Chelsea points. And also the Mane goal completely killed momentum nine minutes in because it was all Chelsea before that goal. So it just sucks that no card was given because of the repercussions that came afterwards. It's just not our year, guys. <laughs> you know, normally in the past when we when we when we made runs at leagues or, you know, or no, only when we make a run at the league, really, because every other cup competition, you could pretty much shit your house way to shit house your way to the final. But, you know, in the past, we've had minimal injuries, minimal suspensions. Um, and we had some decisions go in our favor. We got the rub of the green, basically, with some lucky with some lucky calls. We didn't get any this year, and I still don't think we're getting any. <laughs> um, I don't think we ever got lucky calls. We definitely were lucky with injuries and stuff like that, but <laughs> we're definitely not officiated fairly. Uh, well, what about the Arsenal match where we sent off Ox instead of Kieran Gibbs? Well, how about the FA Cup final against Arsenal when uh, Kovacic yeah, got our yeah. red card for nothing? Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, but then again, I mean, that's not it, a season it happens where we're necessarily competing match. for a league. But still, like I get the point, and the point is here: it's a foul. If if you look at the letter of the law, elbow makes contact with Dave's temple. Um, if Sadio Mane is three or four inches taller, Dave maybe gets a concussion, or maybe he gets knocked out. And now we're down to one wing back from four. Um, you you kind of have to look at the at, at the potential repercussions of not giving that red card um to see how actually ridiculous it is but yeah it, it was a red all day for me i think anthony taylor swallowed his whistle because he's a little bitch and he continues to be so all right well after that it, it only got worse for us when uh liverpool took a commanding 2-0 lead uh chalabino really had a forgetful day at the office um made a mistake early on and then another one which directly led uh to Mane's goal um and it was revealed post match that he was dealing with a hamstring injury going into the match um he did re-aggravate it later and had to be taken out um in the 70th minute um but then after that Mo Salah the hottest player on the planet right now doubled the lead in the 26th minute um Sneaked one in past many in the front post. Really left Alonzo looking foolish with that body faint. Uh, it, it, it all looked like uh, the game was dead in the water. Um, Zach, what was going through your mind at this point in the match? I kind of saw that solid goal coming from, from, uh, from a mile away. I noticed Rudiger was playing extremely wide so he can give a little bit um, of support to... Um, you know, the wingback, uh, Marcus Alonso in this case, to defend Sala. And I saw in this goal in the buildup, Rudiger kind of slid over a little too far, and that opened up the gap, and Sala's movement's just so good. Um, he made a diagonal run right into that area, and then once he goes one-on-one with Alonso, you kind of know it's over, because he, he could beat him just with pace. He doesn't even really even have to throw a move at him, so... I thought the game was over. I thought to myself, uh-oh, I didn't want to say it last pod, but I had a feeling that we might get smacked by Liverpool just based on the form they're in. Um, 
And I'm just glad that it didn't turn out that way. I think the reaction of the players was was top notch. I could I, I couldn't have expected a better reaction from the team going two 0 mm-hmm. down. Yeah, I mean the, the Salah goal goes in, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it, it kind of made me think of that a uh, Tiger King scene where where he says something like, "I'm never gonna financially recover from this." Mm-hmm. I could think like, "There's zero chance <laughs> we score." two goals on these guys at this point. Like, we're going to be deflated. Like, this is it. Like, this is the last nail in the coffin. Like, the Lukaku stuff was already hard. These guys tried their very best to, like, cancel yeah. that out. And we were then... down bad. We were down bad. Yeah, exactly. Emotionally. Stuff, man. These guys are, are playing on, on injuries. The, the, the guy that was supposed to kind of help us get out of this is now talking shit and isn't on the team. Like, I really was like, this is it for us. It's going to be a long 70 minutes left of this match. And, and all of that coming into play makes it even more surprising that the Chelsea had the reaction and the response it did. Um, you know, with some late first half heroics, we were brought back into the match. Um, you know, as the match went on, it was pretty obvious that the Kanate Trent uh, side of the pitch could really be exposed. We saw a lot of balls over the top. Uh, to Mount and Pulisic. Um, but in the 40th minute, uh, after a, a set piece was cleared out of the box, it fell to the most unlikely of goal scorers, Mateo Kovacic, with an absolute screamer out of nowhere. Uh, just, I think that was like the perfect, perfect thing to happen for us. A guy who's been absolutely balling out for us as of recently, um, to be the guy to you know get that goal for us, you know obviously it's it's a it's a goal added on to the score sheet, so it's now it's one two, but it it was just the actual goal itself brought energy into the stadium. It fed through the through the fans into the players, and you saw the the comeback that 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 happened. I mean, Andreas. Head of the Kova crew. <laughs> Did you expect I mean, this? What are your thoughts on that goal? What a strike. I it was at first whenever he whenever first hit off his foot, I was like, this is the most awkward volley. Like his foot is pointing straight at the sky. I'm like, what in the world? But then sure enough, that gave it the most amount of top spin I've ever seen on a ball, just to curl it right over whatever Allison's backup keeper's name is, the young guy. Um off the post. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, the thing that I realized that got me more hyped was Kovacic's reaction. You know, a guy that's usually, I wouldn't say soft-spoken, but he chooses when to show energy. And it's usually frustration towards a, a referee to see him just kind of like, just go off hype wise. And like, like you said, get the crowd going, his teammates going, in my head, I was thinking the halftime talk is going to go from, okay, let's just get out there and do the best we can to we're only a goal down. Like Tuchel's conversation at half just got so much easier. The guys are going to have a whole half to come back. This was the turning point in the match for me. And for it to be Kovacic, like you said, who previous to his injury was, in my opinion, our player of the season, uh, to do it, it was just amazing. I don't think that goal gets beaten this year by a Chelsea player. I, I had to rewatch it 
he was backing up. And, you know, the, the, the first time you watch it, I thought that the ball actually bounced before Kovacic hit it on the, on the volley. But, I mean, he picked it right out of the sky. The ball must have dropped maybe 35 or 40 feet after it was deflected right onto Kovacic's laces. I don't think you get a technically better strike than that, personally. And I can't remember the last time a Chelsea player had a technically brilliant strike volley like that since, what, SEN against Arsenal, maybe? Possibly? I don't know. Um, what do you think of uh, Pulisic's goal, Andres? Oh, we're going to go right to that. Yeah, let's do it. I uh, stepped away, but... Yeah, so Pulisic's goal, I mean... Again, I was in a mind space where I was already thinking halftime. And I was just happy that we were only down one goal. Uh, there was kind of... That was the type of goal I thought we were going to score in this match. A perfect counterattack. Uh, we win the ball somewhere in the middle of the pitch. And Conte immediately looks up and, and just plays it forward knowing that Pulisic is going to get onto it. Uh, that... I, I don't want to make this sort of statement because I, I get mad when people compare, but I got to say it. Like, I'm sorry. Our other wingers don't take that shot. They yeah. don't. Uh, maybe Ziyech, maybe. But Pulisic, even when he was having a completely awful match, because at this point he had missed two or three chances where you he could have done better and and, and he just wasn't on it. And he's been forced out of position for about a month and a half now. Opposite foot, strikes through it while the player chasing him down, while the keeper's closing him in. I mean, the pressure was on, and I was so happy for the guy. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that us who watch him in the national team are are starting to get used to, these clutch moments. And I, I, and I think that's huge for his confidence. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's a coincidence that he gets back or once he gets a chance to play in his more, I guess, natural position on the left, um, that he has a half-decent game. Like, yeah, the first half wasn't great from him. He did mess up, um, you know, that, that one golden opportunity where the ball got deflected to him and he just kind of didn't know what to do with it. Probably should have taken it first time. Um, and, 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 Mane, and Mane's chance right after that was the same exact chance, but he got around the keeper. But but to be fair to Mane, Mane did, Mane did have a lot more room and he did have a lot more time to react for his cutback. I mean, granted, it was way more clinical and he made it look easy, but um, you do expect Pulisic to do a little bit better there. But, but besides that, Andres, the important thing is that he bounced back. He got his goal and I think his confidence looked looked good from there on out he looked pretty sharp for the rest of the match i know he got thrusted out the wing back which is something that a lot of people don't really like to see uh, it's being done out of necessity guys but um i think i think tuchel's realizing that in order to maximize his production he needs to be playing on the left you know he needs to be somewhere in that front three operating um strictly so yeah which sucks that he had to move to a wing back position um, you know, for the second half, because you know we saw we saw his intensity, his directiveness, his directness that we talked about last week. Um, but the power of Pulisic, it uh, it it crosses borders. We got a Twitter question from Kirill's Medvedev at Patron Chelsea. He said, "Picture the following: 
a snowy night in a town in northeastern Europe, four Russian guys watching a football match between two English sides while drinking Belgian beer in a local bar. 46 minutes in one of them, sorry, 46 minutes in, one of them jumps up, fists in the air, screaming, USA, USA, USA. I bet that happens all the time, Kirill's. Um, <laughs> that's a very common occurrence. Um, in but, Northeastern Europe. Yeah. A lot of USA Russians. chants. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Russian fans of the United States nowadays. Um, we really need to get him a chant. This is just sad. <laughs> yeah, how does he not have like a really catchy chant yet? It's a USA. USA. Oh, I, saw, I saw the funniest tweet, so I'm sure everyone has seen now the viral, like... The pawn shop place gets a signed jersey by Pulisic, and oh. they're like, this guy, this guy's the LeBron James of soccer. Mm-hmm. So I saw somebody tweet something like, uh, uh, we've got the LeBron James of soccer. Like, uh, what's a, it's like the, the, fuck, the Dimitri Paye one. Oh. I don't think you understand. Yeah. Like that yeah. One. I, I don't know. I don't know if that one will really go, though. No, it was, just, needs, it was just somebody tweeted it. Why can't we grab, like, a classic rock song from, like, the 80s? Just take your pick of hair bands. Find the most popular song in the mid-80s and just sing it to that tune. Like, like the okay, most American it, Zach. song possible. What about the Rocky Balboa theme? Like, like can't we do, There's like, an no Eye of the words Tiger? There's no words to that, that song. doesn't have words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's true. Well, no. Well, it does, but I don't know what they say. It says, Ballistic. <laughs> oh my god all yeah, right i don't know you gotta you gotta workshop this idea zach but why why did we stop talking about kovacic his uh i think that his match of man of the match performance deserved a little bit more airtime um one goal 105 touches 13 duels won four out of four dribbles completed dispossessed only once 12 ball recoveries on top of that goal um i know you talked about the goal but I, I just want to talk just more about Kovacic in general. Um, like, even without the goal, he played, you know, he was the best player on the pitch. Um, and, you know, when you, when you talk about how does Lukaku get back into our graces, it's playing like that with passion, running until the very end of the match till you, you can't anymore. Um you know, once he once if he if he could take a couple of notes from Mateo Kovacic, I think that he could fall back into the good graces of Chelsea fans. Yeah, much easier for him than Lukaku. <laughs> I mean, he already is sort of a cult favorite. I mean, every Lukaku, time he plays, that's I'm happy cult, to see much. his name on the team sheet. Yeah, <laughs> and to be fair to him, I think I think he took the next step in his career. Like I know he's not scoring as many goals as. You know, like a Kevin De Bruyne or whatever, but still, I mean, he's getting goals. He's he's picking up a lot of assists, and he's yep. He's basically become you know uh, the maestro of our of our attack at times. So, you know, especially in a match that was missing Jorginho for most of it, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, this is what a fully healthy Kovacic brings to the table, and I think because of his long absence, people forget the kind of impact he has on the on the team. Player so, of the year. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see if he has any energy in the tank for the midweek match. But yeah, I I'm glad to have him back, and it feels like he's he's fully fit again. So that's that's very very uh good news because 
poor Jorginho needed the break that he got during this match. Yeah, it was well-deserved. Um, and then quickly, just getting into the second half, really a battle of the keepers, both sides with plenty of chances, but uh, Mendy and the young Liverpool keeper, I forget his name, um, they they really put on put on their A game and uh, kept the match, uh, kept the score at 2-2. Um, but it will, I think that the lack of subs towards the end of the match was a little bit, um, you know, it was, it made me question, you know, I had questioned it a little bit. Um, we got, we did get a question from the dork Knight, the uh, new name at black emoji. He said, I know the boys are knackered up, but only one sub in the 79th. What's Tuchel thinking? Um, the way if it wasn't for for the schedule being so congested i would have easily said well what was on the pitch is working because it was the again the keepers were just on both ends playing way out of their minds but cuz i remember the there's a polisic chance there was a mount chance in the second half great saves the so in my head it's like as a coach, when things are clicking, you don't want to bring in a change that's going to throw everything out of sorts. Um, and there was two subs because I know that uh, Jorginho came on for Chalaba and then Cho didn't come until the 79th. But I think it's two-parter, right? Obviously, we don't have much on the bench in this match with uh, with Lukaku not even making the bench. But I think the big one was just the fact that the boys on the pitch were clicking. And when you're playing someone like Liverpool, you kind of want to keep them on their heels for as long as you can. Uh, it sucks, though, because, again, within the next, what, one, two, three, they get three days before they play again. So, yeah, it, it, tough call by, by Tuchel. Unfortunately, we didn't get to ha- get all three points, but we'll see. We'll see Wednesday. We'll see Wednesday if, if the decision was a, a dumb one or not. Yeah, I wasn't really too fussed about the subs this time around. I thought, you know, yeah, we were getting a little leggy. I, I thought it, it maybe five or ten minutes sooner, but I see the logic. I think Tuchel was looking at the pitch and saw that, you know, the momentum was ours. The squad that was out there was the one that got us there, so... Why not let them run it out until their tank is completely empty? And then we'll switch over to another idea. So, you know, sometimes this is kind of Andres's logic. Uh, whenever a player, you know, gets in a good run of form, it's it, play the hot hand, keep them in. And I think, you know, at that point, um, you know, the team was looking somewhat decent. Now, I know we did get stagnant in the second half, so I can understand that frustration. And like I said, I think if any criticism is made, maybe you do that five minutes earlier around the 75th. Or the 70th, I don't think you'd go any sooner than that, though, just based on the way that the match was going. Um, you know, we did look defensively solid. We weren't giving them any opportunities besides solid, you know, ripping it from half field. Um, outside of that, they didn't really look like scoring against us in the second half. So I kind of I understood that. All right, we got another question. This one is from probably our most unique uh, listener. The one and only human capital department, um, which we still don't know what a human capital department is. <laughs> um, he asked, was it the right decision to drop Lukaku? 
the interview with Sky Italia seemed fairly harmless. Um, so you know, we already we already talked about our thoughts of the um, the interview, but Andreas, was it the right decision to drop Lukaku for this important of a match? Yes, uh, I think that for once it it pleased me that the Chelsea board and the higher ups backed the manager on this one. Player power is something that across a lot of sports now has become very prominent, but this one is just, you have to back the manager on this one. There is no rhyme or reason why Lukaku should have done what he did, especially like you mentioned within days of, well, he didn't get to choose when it got dropped, but regardless within days from a big match, you have to take out the source of the drama from the equation because had Lukaku been in this match and we don't perform, then you were giving headlines for the next week and the drama extends. Like we don't get to have the, the, Oh, we have a reconciliation meeting Monday and we'll see what happens. Sort of conversation. Like we don't control the narrative. If, if you keep him on the side. So to me, I think it was smart of Tuchel, even if it meant dropping points, you have to bite this in the butt. And, and I'm glad that the club backed him up on that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Tuchel did what he had to do, you know, and I think he, not that he didn't already have it, but I think he maintained a respect of, you know, the players and also the supporters as well. I think in this situation, it would be, it would, it would have been shocking if, you know, the supporters got on the side of, of Lukaku, because in all fairness to Tuchel, Lukaku has no room to open his mouth. Um, like I said before, Tuchel won the Champions League here, and he's arguably our greatest manager ever already. And it's been, what, barely a year since he's taken over. So um, good on Tuchel. I think the club did what they had to do, and I'm glad that they gave Tuchel their blind support in that. And I think, you know, whatever he decides to do from here on out in terms of getting him in against Spurs or not getting him in against Spurs, I'm still going to respect Tuchel's decision and trust that he's making the right one because he's the one that sees how it's impacting things on the inside. And if leaving Lukaku out of the team a little bit longer means that the team could keep performing the way they are, then that's what we have to do. It's a matter of doing what's best for the team at this point. And I think dropping him was for the best. Yeah, and and one thing that I, I didn't mention that I think Tuchel deserves a, like applauding for is he didn't just make this decision on his own. He called like a... A Jorginho meeting. Yeah, Jorginho Aspi, Conte, Rudiger, and Tiago, I believe, were the yeah. five players the that got called in. Team. Yeah. You would think Lukaku would be one of those, but whatever. <laughs> he was the subject but, uh, of the meeting, so I you know, he be that called he's in. being talked about in that meeting and not a part of it. So he, uh, Tuchel mentioned something along the lines of where I do not make all the decisions in my office. Uh, this is the team is my players' teams. And their voice matters, something along those lines, which I thought was amazing. But to hear that he wanted to know what the locker room believed before making that decision and, and taking a stance and potentially pissing off even more people, I thought it was very uh, measured and smart on, on his part as well. So I'm glad that the players were in on it as well. Um, last question on this match. Uh this one is from Nick Lennartson. <coughs> Excuse me, Nick Lennartson, a good friend. He said, with the intensity we showed today, could we beat anyone? Are we back on the hype train, Zach? Uh, 
Man, this is a, a far cry from what we got from Nick last week. Um, yeah. But I'm glad he changed his tone a little bit. I think uh, I think we could be. I mean, we proved it that we could beat pretty much anybody with a full strength squad. Um, that being Reese James, Chilwell, and a healthy Angolo Conte in the mix. So, yeah, if that's the case, then we can beat anybody. But I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> One, you know, decent performance against Liverpool doesn't necessarily mean that we're out of the woods yet. There's still a lot of football to be played and. Like you touched on, a lot of it has to be done without Chilwell and Reese, So that's going to be a huge mountain to climb, uh, as we already know. Yeah, I uh, I kind of still keep my same mentality. I think that can we beat a lot of teams? Yes, we can. Uh, it just – the longevity of a Premier League season is not something that this team is built for, but – getting up for a special match like the big teams or a cup match, I will back us a hundred percent to, to get the job done any day. So yeah, I, I think these big games will always be great performances for the boys. I'm still more worried about the mid table, lower sides in between said big matches. So yes, we can be, we can compete with the big ones when it matters most. All right. Let's move on to other news coming out of this week. A lot of news coming out about our center backs um, with contracts running out the end of the season. First of all, Thiago Silva today signed his extension with the team. He'll be here for another year. Um, That's great news. I don't think there's a single Chelsea fan out there that isn't completely ecstatic to hear this. Um, so that's one of the three or four, if we're counting Dave as well, um, that we have to worry about. Christensen hired a new agent this week uh, among Barcelona's links, but um, latest news that have come out is that the talks are stalling yet again, um, especially with Barcelona struggling to uh, register Ferran Torres. Um, they have to sell off a lot of players uh, in order to make that work. I don't know how Barcelona is doing business right now, but uh, <laughs> I think that might put that transfer on hold. Uh, but you know, it's fair fair play to Christensen if Barcelona calls. Like it's definitely a call that you take. Um, as much as I hate Barcelona, it's a call that you take. And finally, Rudiger. News coming out today that is no longer a priority for Real Madrid. Um, you know, maybe what he's asking for is too much, but um, you know, before I want to, before I get your thoughts on all of these, I got a we got a question from uh, Michael Conan at M Conan seventeen eighty nine. He said, "How frustrating is it that Lukaku is our highest paid player and complains to the media, but we won't put we won't pay Rudiger, who is a great pro and leader for the club." Um, Zach. Is this is this something that frustrates you? I mean, maybe something that Rudiger probably is thinking about right now. I mean, the Rudiger situation frustrates me in general. I've said that from the beginning. The fact that we've only offered what I mean, what seems to be 140, and he's asking for just another 40 or 50 grand bump, uh, doesn't really seem like that much. I mean, it seems like he's played himself into it. Uh, that's me, uh, you know, middle class Zach talking. Um, 40 or 50 grand is a lot of money to normal people. Um, but to these guys, I mean, look, this is what he's asking for. He's played himself into that position. Lukaku just kind of walks onto the team, gets his 
astronomical wage to go with the astronomical transfer fee. And then he, you know, decides to be a complete dumbass and start running his mouth um, and saying some not so nice things about the club. It's frustrating. But look, I mean, this is the way business is done. Uh, we've mentioned it before, Rudiger's age. He's 28. You know, the amount of money that he's asking for would make him one of the highest paid players at the club. Um, whether or not he deserves it, it's a separate conversation, but we do need to look at the financial aspect of this. If he's going to ask for four or five years, that means we're going to be paying a 32, 33-year-old Rudiger, you know, upwards of a 180000 a week. Who knows if we're still getting something out of him at that point? That's the questions I think the club's asking. And um, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating overall. I mean, like you guys, I would like to have Rudiger back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when stuff like this happens, it's definitely frustrating. Rudiger could be speaking about a plethora of clubs right now that are giving him calls and he can be dealing with because he is allowed to deal with other clubs at this point, six months left in his contract, but he's not. He's not saying a damn word and he's being a complete professional and playing out of his mind. So, yeah, this is kind of... It gets annoying because the guy that doesn't quote unquote want to be here is getting the most money and we can't pay the guy that wants to stay. So, yeah, of course, it's frustrating. Again, there is a limit to what I'm willing to pay Rudiger, but the situation does kind of just annoy me because of that. So, yes, Michael, I'm with you. I think it's fair to say. And I'm not trying to discredit Rudiger whatsoever right now, but I, I think it's very fair to say that Rudiger in this system is superior to Rudiger on any other team. And I think that the system is what really made him into what a lot of people view as a world-class player. And I don't know if people would view him the same way if he was playing um, at a Real Madrid, um, you know, in a back four. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? Uh, maybe this he's he's taking the next step in his career, and he really is that guy. Um, more credit to him. But um, you know, maybe I think this you know what what Chelsea is hoping for, and this was their intention the whole time, was to not overpay for him because they don't think there's other clubs out there that are willing to pay what he's asking for either. Um, and it's looking that way right now. Real Madrid, one of the richest clubs in the world, might not be willing to pay his asking wages. So it's unfortunate for a guy like him, but um, he is a huge benefactor of uh, Thomas Tuchel and playing in the system. So as much as I'd love to see him um, you know, get his payday, I think that's what the club is doing. They're, they're you know, very, very, uh, you know, doing a very calculated risk of not, you know, succumbing to his wage demands in the in the hope that other teams won't match it either. And so far, I think their bet is uh, is looking pretty good. Um, I'd be so ecstatic to bring him back next year, but pay the man; he deserves it. Um, so, I'm on to on to this last question. This one is from. Uh, Gorilla Glue, a new new uh, question at Primate Seguro. He said, "I'm so effing tired of not seeing Roman pull his wallet out." <laughs> uh, I mean, we have had a crazy uh, last two 
transfer windows where we spent like two hundred and fifty million dollars plus. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, disagree. Yeah, sorry, Gorilla Glue. Um, not sure what you're talking about here. I guess maybe he's referring to how Tuchel had like three more positions that he wanted to cover in the summer. But we have been spending money, just not exactly where the manager has wanted. Yeah, and uh, so far, big investments have not really paid out, um, I would say, uh, to their price tag, at least. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump ahead. Spurs preview. Um, Carabao Cup semifinals at the bridge. First leg uh, against Tottenham. Reminder to all of you out there, Conte has taken the realm and since, I mean, has, has, has taken the helm. What is the phrase I'm thinking of? The realm. Yeah. Taken, uh, hel- taken the helm. I don't know. The realm. Something helm. like that. It's helm. It's helm. helm. He's taken the helm he's of the realm. The he's, he's taken the, the helm of the realm. Um, and since he's taking uh, the helm of the realm, uh, in, eight ma- in eight matches, they've had five wins, three draws, and not a single loss. Um, if you don't count the ones that they had to forfeit um, due to not having uh, enough players for because of COVID. Um, and they're still uh, on an ongoing battle with COVID right now. Um, Conte has mentioned that um, there will be an update tomorrow morning. He will not disclose the names of those uh, impacted by it. But... Um, you know, it's looking like Tottenham will be short-manned. Um, as a matter, you know, it's still a question as to who will not be there. But this is a big match, guys. I mean, we've likely threw, thrown away our title hopes this year, so that's one trophy gone. Now we're one round away from the finals of a cup uh, tournament. So um, let's, let, let's go to... Uh, your predictions as far as the lineup first of all uh andreas do you see lukaku making it back onto the side yes (laughs) um i don't think kai did enough to to kind of let us know that he can play the lone striker back-to-back matches uh i could see potentially a front two of kai and lukaku and if not, if it's a front three, I, I think Lukaku will get the nod because he was scoring. He's fresh legs. Uh, but yeah, I'd say Lukaku gets the nod there. Probably. Unfortunately, I think the wingback situation, well, not the wingback, the center back situation is going to cause uh, Pulisic or Cho to end up at wingback again this week, which is a very unfortunate after his performance at left wing. Uh, but yeah, I think apart from that, I mean, you'll see the same familiar faces, Thiago Silva, Mason Mount, Aspie, Rudiger, Kepa. Kepa is now going to be our keeper for the next month or so, uh, which in a, I guess this is a two-legged affair, so no penalties in this one, but he is our cup keeper. So yeah, I, I don't see anything too crazy. I think the Chalaba injury kind of just forces our hand and then Pulisic or Cho will end up at wing back again though. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. Um, until we know which players are out, we won't really know what side Spurs are going to put out. What we do know is that, you know, Conte does what Conte does. He puts a back three with two wing backs that sit pretty deep. They run essentially, um, you know, uh, their runs are basically narrow and they're, you know, just straight ahead. Or not narrow, they're wide, but just straight ahead. Their players don't really tuck in on the inside like our wing backs tend to do. Um, the midfield also doesn't tend to be a creative force in Conte's system either. It just really relies on that front three to sort of create everything. So I think that's the key. You know, if if, if Son, Harry Kane, and, you know, if it's Dele Alli or Lucas or whoever it is filling in that other third spot, um, whoever is going to be playing, it's, it's going to be our job to shut those guys down. And I think, if, I, I think if we keep that front three quiet, it'll be a relatively... Um, I don't want to say easy day at the office because Conte's teams are never easy, but I think that'll be our best chance of nicking a goal and getting out of there with a win. So um, overall, I do feel pretty confident, though. I think I think the Liverpool match is going to give the boys a good boost. So I'll kind of I'll kind of stake my claim with the prediction here. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go one nil Chelsea. I think we I think we keep a clean sheet, um, and I think we get our swagger back a little bit more. Um. All right. So predictions for the score. I say uh, 2-0. Keep a clean sheet. Put two past them. Boom. Yeah, I, I'm with you too. I think I think the boys will keep the energy from this past weekend moving forward, and I think we'll win 2-0. Yeah, I think that's all agreed. I um, think, sorry to cut you off, but I think we no, are good. able to play, uh, you know, I mean – I know that uh, Chaluba is probably not going to be able to, if he plays, it won't be for the full 90. We don't know any updates on Andreas Christensen, but we can play our best uh, available center backs because we have uh, a a pretty favorable uh, midweek matchup or another matchup against, uh, I forget who we're even Chesterfield. playing. Chesterfield. And then we play Liverpool, I mean, sorry, Todd, Tottenham again after that. So... Yeah, I mean, it, it. we definitely need a win. We've only won one Premier League game at home since, at October, since October, which is insane to think about. And I know this isn't a Premier League game, but we do need a win at home um, because, you know, it should be an advantage. But, um, Zach, is uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, not really. I think that pretty much covered it all. Um, if you're still listening, make sure that you are following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, we do try to record after every episode, so make sure you're looking out for our new releases. Um, and until next episode, keep the blue flag flying high. And fuck Spurs. <laughs>